Welcome to today's Word of Mom Radio here on the Word of Mom Media Network. I'm your host, Dori DiCarlo, and you know we are here week after week, show after show, breaking those myths that mompreneurs and businesswomen, especially those of us building our businesses from home, that were just dabbling in between bake sales and getting our nails done, we're not. We are smart, we are savvy, and we are sharing the wisdom of women in business and in life. And I'm looking forward to bringing today's guest in. Heidi Miller, MS, CCC, SLP, COM, which is speech language pathologist, certified orofacial myologist feeding expert. How amazing is that? She has been practicing speech for over 20 years, received her bachelor's degree from the University of Wisconsin and her master's in speech language pathology from Nova Southeastern University. She's licensed in the states of New Jersey and Maryland. Heidi is the author of HMS Feeding Therapy Protocol for Expanding Repertoire of Picky Eaters and Children, a guide to teaching SLPs and OTs how to effectively treat picky eaters by creating a safe environment for them to confidently learn to eat new food. And you know, we've been doing a lot of shows. More and more children are at home. Parents are homeschooling and things like that and need to know what to look for. So I'm thrilled that you are taking the time to come and share your expertise with us, Heidi. Welcome to Word of Mom Radio. Thank you so much for having me. My pleasure. So I'm going to go right back into what we read over here. You got it. What's ARFID? So ARFID is Avoidant Restrictive Feeding Intake Disorder. Um, And it is a feeding problem that it tends to be diagnosed in older kids. Older, when I say older, I mean not like tiny babies. Um, A speech language pathologist actually does not make that diagnosis. It's typically made by somebody in like an eating disorders clinic, like a psychologist, a psychiatrist. It used to be a diagnosis of exclusion when a child would go with a feeding problem to one of those clinics and they really didn't fit in like a bulimia. They didn't fit in an anorexia. They didn't fit in those other feeding disorder problems, but they did have an eating and feeding problem. So where I come in is that I have a strong area of expertise in expanding kids' palates and working with children because of my ability to know the mouth so well and have that physiological piece, that oral motor sort of piece with the muscles and the tongue and the chewing and the feeding that I am able to assist these children with ARFID. So I would diagnose as a speech language pathologist, what we call an oral phase dysphagia, meaning a problem with the swallow in the oral phase, the way that somebody prepares the food in the mouth. I also can diagnose like a pharyngeal phase or, but I would diagnose the oral phase and 
so oftentimes people that have been diagnosed with ARFID or have suspected ARFID will be sent to me so that I can help them expand their repertoire in a safe way. How did you become a pediatric feeding specialist? That's an interesting feel to me. It's, it really came out of just such a passion. And I just believe that you have to really love what you do in order to, you know, be good at it. I think it helps. I, straight out of my master's degree in Florida, Nova was in Florida, I was placed in a private clinic under a woman who was an excellent feeding therapist. And I was put right immediately like into that private practice world with feeding therapy in the NICU, learning all of that very early. And I always had an interest in medically involved kinds of kids from the time I was young. I always worked at camps and programs to sort of help to handicap children. So ironically, I probably was like 12 or 13 when I knew I wanted to be a speech therapist. And then the feeding part led into the medical piece. Um, and then our field is so big, like you were saying that you had the interest in the deaf and in the, you know, cognitive impairment. So our world is so big that many times therapists in uh, the speech therapy world do end up kind of micro specializing and feeding just from a early time in my career was something that I loved. So you take a lot of different continuing education courses and, and then it kind of shifted. It moved away from the NICU and the babies, even though I do do a ton of that now still, I took a lot of different courses and I realized that I just had this special talent, if you will, for, expanding kids repertoire and what started to happen was other therapists that were in surrounding clinics were calling and saying you know what Heidi I have this client and I just don't know what to do with him or her it's just really a challenge do you think you could take them on I was having physicians call me and ask me I was having people ask me to train their clinics and so I you know developed a program that was working and then I decided that I was going to write it so that I could teach it to other therapists because there's only one me and, you know, I wanted to get the word out. I'm going to dial back. Yeah. What is a pediatric feeding specialist? A pediatric feeding specialist is somebody that helps children. You know, right now, Feeding Matters, which is a national agency, an unbelievable nonprofit agency for feeding. The latest statistic that they came out with is that there are more than 2.3 million children under the age of five a year in the United, in the United States diagnosed with a pediatric feeding problem. Um, it is a huge, huge population. So a pediatric feeding therapist is somebody that works with a child that is encountering any kind of difficulty with feeding. Sometimes it's a more medically involved problem, like a child that, let's say, is going from a G-tube to oral feeding. Sometimes it's a problem with, you know, sensory regulation and feeding, having difficulty with textures. Sometimes it's a problem because the child had a different kind of medical diagnosis, let's say allergies that caused uncomfort with feeding. Sometimes it's a motoric problem where the child really has difficulty coordinating the food in their mouth. Sometimes it's a problem. I'm an oral facial myologist, as we discussed, that deals a lot with, um, lip ties, tongue ties, buccal ties. So if you have some, um, some kind of tethered tissue and that didn't really let your muscles work together and pattern very well, that can impact feeding. There are so many different reasons why a child or a person would 
have difficulty feeding and a pediatric feeding specialist is somebody that would intervene and, and help a child through and the family through. It's a family effort. It really is a family effort. I'm watching my, my girlfriend's granddaughter and they are working with a specialist now that she's finally able. She's about seven months old and there was issues with her tongue and being able to introduce new things to her and everything else. And, and it's remarkable because you don't, you don't think of it unless it's your child. It never occurs to you that somebody could have a problem with, as you said, whether it be texture or they were tongue tied or, you know, different things that go on that you need to work on with your child as a parent. What happens when you don't have access to a specialist like yourself? Well, I'm hoping, you know, now the awareness is starting to get out there. And that's why, like, on my Instagram, I really do try to give a lot of tips, therapy tips. And I try to make myself available <laughs> to people to answer questions and help because I, I try to be just an empathetic kind of person. Something like Feeding Matters, like I've mentioned, they help a lot of people. I mean, and now I do think it's becoming more, I, I think that there is more awareness around feeding now. Um, pediatricians are recognizing it earlier and sort of sending out earlier. So it really is a lot of global education that we're doing. The people that are at the forefront of treating these people, we're having to educate, educate the providers around us and the other team members to act and to help. How do you know if your child is being picky or if they're just trying to find some semblance of control in their life if they don't feel that they haven't. Look, I mean, feeding is a very, very difficult, swallowing is very difficult. A single swallow takes 26 mu muscles and there's six cranial nerves working together. For somebody that like enjoys to eat and just eats, it's, it's, for us, it's very hard to understand how this could be a challenge. But when it is a challenge, it is so, so super hard. So I don't believe that a child is ever picky just to be picky. Yes. I mean, when you have like a toddler and whatever, is there a, are they going to have like a picky, finicky day? Of course they are. But usually if you are a parent and feeding time is just a struggle, it's kind of like you just, oh my goodness, it's time to eat again. And there's just always kind of bickering. It causes frustration. Everybody is upset. You're trying to figure out how are you distracting this child? You're, you know, talking to your partner about who's going to feed the kid or who's not, you know, these are not typical normal things. And I'm a big believer in that these little kids, especially, they're not being picky just to be difficult. They don't want to be difficult just to be difficult. They're being picky because there is an underlying reason why their feeding is not going well. And for me, as a feeding specialist and an oral facial myologist, when a child comes to me, I have to play the detective and figure out why is it that this child is having so much difficulty? Is it a physiological thing that's going on in their mouth? Is it like sometimes it can be a pharyngeal thing? I'll have to refer to ENT if they have really, really big tonsils and they're super uncomfortable and they can't breathe every time they eat. Is it a tongue tie thing like we were talking about? Is it a sensory thing where, you know, the child just is so uncomfortable every time they take a bite of the food? Sometimes we'll uncover allergies and the child didn't even realize they had allergies 
And every time they ate something, they had a funny feeling or they were uncomfortable or they were having gastro problems, but they were too young to understand this and explain this to the family. And, you know, then we have to send for gastro and we find out, oh, wow, this child was lactose intolerant or the child was, you know, allergic to gluten or the child was allergic to, you know, a cross pollination with fruit. And, you know, we were giving the food to them and, and they were having a negative reaction. Sometimes what happens is there's, I've had a lot of kids come to me because there was a choking incident and post choking, they won't eat. So it's, you know, we have to kind of figure out what came first. Why did the child then start to present with pickiness? And if it went undiscovered and it just sort of got chalked up to picky eating and it went on and on and on, then what ends up happening is that a lot of anxiety goes around the feeding and, you know, and then we're really untangling a whole lot of stuff. And it's a very long process. It can be done. I mean, I have a college kid coming to me tonight. She's driving back from college because we, I mean, very late detected a tongue tie. And then now she can finally start eating comfortably because we've retrained her muscles to eat and she can prepare the food better in her mouth. And she's now starting to eat some like more grown-up foods and she obviously wants to hang with her friends and do but she's driving back from school for therapy tonight like it's you know this isn't something that always just goes away wow on that note we're going to take a quick break say thank you to our sponsors and we'll be back in just a moment here on word of mom radio have you been curious about CBD? Maybe you heard it helps relieve stress and balance your body, but you're not sure where to start. The most important thing when you're thinking about CBD is choosing a brand you trust and feel confident in. Altwell is a high quality and effective CBD line. It's a family business with four generations in the wellness industry, and they poured all their experience, knowledge, and passion into making modern wellness attainable. Altwell uses only the highest quality, ethically grown hemp, carefully selected from Colorado farms. They triple test every product, and with every purchase, you can act Access a lab report so you can see exactly what you're getting. If you're new to CBD, a great place to start is with topicals like Altwell's balms and lotions to help ease achy muscles and their serums to moisturize and brighten your skin. Altwell is offering Word of Mom listeners a special discount so you can try it for yourself. All you have to do is go to altwell.com and use code ALTWELLMOM at checkout for 25% off your first purchase. Exclusions apply. She is brave. She is strong. She is you. Because you're that woman who's got a product or a service that you're looking to promote. Or you're out there seeking to support other women in business to help women learn, network, and build the businesses of their dreams. Because when you win, we win. We all know a survivor. Some of our friends and family have made it through difficult times. Some of us don't make it. Losing a loved one to cancer, a car accident, or any other unfortunate event can be crippling and unavoidable. But one of the hardest subjects to talk about is suicide. Too often, our youth decide that leaving this place is easier than facing the struggle forced upon them every day. More than one in four children go through some form of bullying or another. Most of us survive with scars, but for some... The inner demons created cannot be recognized or treated in time to ensure they make it through. Bullying in every form is very much avoidable. It starts with me and it starts with you. This is Kelly Carius from No Such Thing as a Bully reminding you to do your part when you see bullying happen. If you don't know what that is, call 403-447-4404 or go to nosuchthingasabully.com. Don't let the name fool you because stadiumbags.com has a line of clear bags 
that enable you to use your phone and your smart devices without removing them from your bag. Not only that, but the product is so good it'll stand up to the cleaning solvents that you need to use now to make sure that when you come home, you come home safely. So take a look at stadiumbags.com. You'll see why we're your clear choice, because safety, it's in the bag. And we're back here on Word of Mom Radio with speech and language pathologist Heidi Miller. We've been talking about eating issues. What can parents do to introduce kids to new foods, Heidi? Excellent question. So what parents can do is really keep up the exposures. You know, sometimes it's like they'll give the kids a bowl of strawberries. I don't like strawberries. They'll give them again strawberries. I don't like strawberries. And then they're like, oh, the child doesn't like strawberries. I'm done with strawberries. But I always tell my kids, it takes our bodies a long time to decide how many, if we like a food or if we don't like a food. It could be 18 to 20 times if we like a food or if we don't like a food. I, in my therapy, usually do try to like make the food as safe, safe as possible. So not every therapist agrees with this, but I will sometimes like say, well, what part of the strawberry do you think that you might like? Would do you think you like the bumpy seeds on the outside or do you think maybe you would like the inside? And I probably would cut the strawberry to make it a little bit more appealing to set the child up for success. Or I would say to them, okay, maybe you didn't like it this time, but that doesn't mean that you wouldn't like it next time. And, you know, keep on introducing it. And it's also not about always eating the food when you introduce it. Like, you have to also think about it as an exploration phase, you know, um, for the little, little kids, like, do you want to kiss the strawberry and throw it away? Can you give it a lick like a lollipop and throw it away? Because those explorations help them to recognize the sensory properties of it and feel it. So it's about a lot of exposures and it's about continuing to give those exposures. I often give my sushi example. Like I love sushi now, but when I was in college and I was introduced to sushi, I mean, I didn't go and just eat raw fish. I started with the vegetable rolls and then I moved on to the crab rolls and then I moved on to the cooked shrimp rolls and then I moved on to tuna. And, you know, I slowly, it was an evolution. So, you know, you have to sort of give the the kids that opportunity. And then getting kids involved, having them help prepare food with you is very helpful. Having them serve food, family style meals are very helpful. Eating with your children, mirror modeling food has been um, researched and is proven to help children. Um, You know, having that mirror model of the parents eating what they're serving the kids. So all of these things are useful tips and ways to help get the kids involved. If the kid help prepares dinner, they are more likely to try it. And trying it might not even mean eating the entire thing, but, you know, exploring it at some level. I love that you said that about getting kids involved in the process. I think that that is such a wonderful thing to do. I remember when my kids were little and my sister-in-law, was like, oh, but they make such a mess. But yeah, and then they learn how sponges come back to life when you wet, when you wet them and everything else. But kids are going to want to eat what they help you cook. Yep. And my favorite was when we would make pizza because then I would flip on the light. I'd give them their own dough. They could make their own pizza. And then they would sit with their back against the wall to watch their food cook. 
And I had 22 minutes of a cup of tea with nobody asking me for anything. Right. It, it was great. It I'm serious. It was my break time as they watched what they created. And you know what? My I have three adult children who are marvelous. They really are. And you start them young because it does. It excites them when they know they're part of the meal preparation. Certainly. It really does. And I like I like what you're saying about teaching them, you know, do you want to kiss it goodbye before you throw it away? And right. things like that. You know, it it doesn't have to be I know for parents, you know, my children's dad never minded if our kids were sick unless it affected their appetite. In which case he was in a blind panic and I'm like, they're in the ninetieth percentile for weight, honey. They're not gonna <laughs> die because they didn't eat for two days because they don't feel well. You know, but it's funny how you equate food um, and the stress level that goes up. It's so, so stressful. How do you know when it is a real issue and where you need to get a professional involved? So it becomes a real, there are a couple of different things to look out for when it's a real issue. If you have a child that is eliminating an entire food group, that's usually not a good sign. Although with the little ones, sometimes like if they eat a lot of fruit and only a couple vegetables, oh, maybe that's nutritionists. Don't get mad at me. Maybe I'm wrong. But <laughs> <laughs> I do think, you know, um, if they eat a variety of other things and they, if they, what sometimes what children will do is, they have their favorite foods and then they only eat that one food and then they what we call extinguish a food, meaning they'll let the food go and they don't, if they don't replace it with something else, that's problematic. If mealtime is really long, you know, and um, really stressful, then that usually is a sign that there's a problem. Obviously, there's a medical problem if your child is like coughing and choking when they're eating. Um, that's more a medically involved problem. So there are, you know, I would say all of those, those are all things to look out for and, you know, seek a little bit of help. When it comes to packing school lunches, how do parents pack those lunches? So kids that are I should get something on this because it's, you know, for picky eaters, the school environment can be a very big challenge because there is a lot of anxiety around the eating. And when you're picking target foods or new foods that the kids are integrating, doing it in the lunchroom with so many of your friends or like at a somewhat stressful time as it is, sometimes it could be good because you have the your peers around you and you have like a little bit of, sometimes that can be encouraging, but other times that could be very anxiety writing. What I suggest for packing lunches is, again, getting the kids involved when you can. And the way that you can have them not only put junk in the lunchbox is that you tell them that they have to pick something from every category. So they have to have their protein. They, have, they can have a starch. They have to have a fruit or a vegetable. And then they can pick a snack. And so this way, you know that you're getting the categories set, um, but they're sort of helping with the process. Um, I recognize I have a very busy life. I mean, I, I work, I treat, I have three kids. It doesn't always work that way. But if you do have somebody that struggles a lot with eating, giving them control is really helpful. And if you are 
two busy working parents, then maybe it's something on a Sunday night, you want to say, you know what, give me a list of a couple of your five of your proteins, give me a list of five of your starches, five of your fruit and vegetables, if you can, you know, and then your snacks, and then mom and dad or mom and partner or whoever will mix and match for you in your lunchbox, but at least we're drawing from safe places, you know, um, but getting them involved definitely is going to help you with those school lunches. And for the most part, we want to pack food should be cozy. And we do want them to have cozy experiences. For I like feeding. that. I, I really do. I like the idea of giving them some choice because, you know, I, I had taken guardianship of a friend's uh, son for her because he was going to wind up in foster care. She was sick and I had him for a year and a half. And then he went back to her. This kid ate everything but cooked spinach and ate from the minute he woke up till he went to bed. And then he was with her and she called me. She said, the only thing he will eat is chicken Cheerios and pizza. I said, so feed him chicken Cheerios and pizza. She goes, I don't understand why this is happening. And I said, you know, you've moved to three different places. He doesn't have any control. Right. She got sick again and he came home with me. And he walked in and I was Mama Dory. She was Mommy Ginger. He walked in and when he realized where he was, he just looked around and he looked up at me and he's like, Mommy, I'm hungry. And ate. she came to stay with us after she got out of the hospital. And she's like, he equates food with you. And I was like, no, he equates security with me. His day never changed. It was the same day every day. We lived in the same place. So he was secure. Right. And he just, and that was it. And it was really interesting because he was not a kid with a sensory issue or anything else. But, you know, sometimes it's the only thing that a child can control in their environment sometimes is what goes in their mouth. Absolutely. And, you know, another thing that is often said in the research is that as parents, you know, we present the children with the food and they decide how much and what goes into their belly. It's, you know, we do have to give them some choices. Without a doubt. So as we're wrapping up, what do you want to leave our listeners with, Heidi, and how can they reach out to you? They can reach out to me on Instagram, which is HMS Feeding and Speech. I did write this protocol to help other speech therapists and occupational therapists, and that is helppickyeaters.com. And, you know, please feel free to share that information with your therapist if you know somebody is picky eater. But truthfully, truthfully, I love what I do, and I am somebody that is happy to answer questions or try to point you in the right direction or send you to a colleague that I know. I certainly do have a lot of connections Um to try to, you know, get people the help that they need. I have a practice in New Jersey. Um, I have an office in Florham Park and an office in Hillsdale. And um, that's HeidiMillerSpeech.com. But most importantly, I just am an empathetic therapist that's really happy to help. So I really appreciate your having me, Dory. It has been my pleasure. It really has, Heidi. Thank you for the work that you do. And, you know, for all of the people that reach out to you for your assistance, because you're sharing what you've learned very generously. I appreciate that in people. I really do. So thank you for taking the time to be with us today. And for all of you tuning in, thanks so much for being here. We're going to close out the show with our fabulous theme song from Smith Sisters Bluegrass. 
So till next time, this is Dory DiCarlo saying go out and create a marvelous you. Bye for now. She is sure. She is sure. She is strong. She is strong. She is true. She is true. She is brave. She is brave. She is bold. She is bold. She is you. She is sure. She is sure. She is strong. She is strong. She is true. She is true. She is brave. She is brave. She is bold. She is bold. She is you. Sure of It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.